Well, it's uh, a privilege to have my name called uh, to, to potentially be the pastor of this church. Um, you know, it's, it's been a, a privilege and it's been a joy to, to fill in the interim uh, and to just be a part of this church family uh, for a very long time and, and over the last few years. And so, uh, you know, I thank all the people uh, who have been there to help and support me through this process. And, uh, and now I look forward to potentially what that next step is. And so please understand that, you know, Krista and I are, are open uh, and available to anybody. If you guys have questions over the next two weeks, uh, you know, feel free to reach out, feel free to contact. I'd love to, to chat with you and, and try to field any of those questions that may happen. So, but again, it, it really is a, a joy to be a part of this church family. And it's been a real joy to be able to minister in the time that I've had. And again, uh, my hope and desire is that uh, this will continue as we move forward. So, uh, and I appreciate the, the applause. That was very kind of you to, to do that. It really means a lot. So, um, but I do have to preach a sermon. Uh, just in case you are not sure if I'll do a good job with that, I will uh, give a sermon today. And if you don't like the one today, you can certainly go online and pick any of the ones that I've done in the past. Um, <laughs> But we are continuing our, our, our series here again in, in Better Than, realizing that Christ is, is better than anything else we, we can imagine. Um, now, I, I admire anybody that has any sort of handyman skills. Anybody that can do woodworking, carpentry, construction, metalworking, uh, anybody that can do plumbing, electrical. I, I really do. I, my, my, my dad uh, had done some construction for a while, and, and, and I watched him do it, and I just always wanted to be able to do something like that. And, and I, in, in all honesty, any project that I have ever worked on uh, has usually taken me if double, if not perhaps triple the amount of time it's supposed to, um, several runs back and forth to Home Depot to figure it out. Uh, and then usually by the time I finish a project, I'm usually just praying to the Lord that when Crystal looks at it, it's good enough that I can be done. Um, <laughs> I, again, I, you know, in all honesty, my, my son Weston is probably a better handyman than me at this point. Um, but I, again, I, I admire anybody that, that can do that. And it didn't help that I married a, uh, into a family who my father-in-law and brother-in-law could pretty much fix anything with their eyes closed. That really boosted my self-confidence and self-esteem. Um, but uh, if you don't know, Brian has built his, his own house. Uh, and I had the privilege of going over and helping him, and, and I really enjoyed doing that. And when I say helping, it really was just moving around some wood and sucking up some sawdust. Uh, but he was so appreciative of what I did that when we moved into our house, uh, Brian wanted to repay the favor. So he put in some toilets and some bathroom sinks and a garbage disposal, fixed the wall, uh, put, put some cabinets in, did some electrical work. So I think at this point, I think Brian and I are probably even. Um, so, so thank you, Brian. I, I really am glad we could have worked that out, right? But, but in all sincerity, right? Anybody that can do something with their hands, who, who, can, who can build, I, I just am fascinated by it. And especially when you get done at the end and you're like, I built this, and you just see this work of creation, and it's a thing of beauty and, and masterpiece, and I really do marvel at that type of, of capability, and 
I do wish that someday perhaps these hands will do that. Uh, but today we're going to look at this idea of how the author compares Christ to the building of a house. And again, the point of all of this is to communicate to the audience, to his readers, that Christ is, <clears throat> is better than anything else we can imagine. And that he's been trying to <clears throat> excuse me, convey so far that he's better than the prophets. He's, he's better than the angels. He's better than the message that has come through them. Thanks, Dave. You're so helpful all the time with this. There we go. Um, and, and that he's now going to compare Christ to Moses, and he's going to continue the same process uh, of how Moses is put up here on this kind of pedestal and say, you know, if you think that's where Moses is, Christ is better than that. So that's, that's the direction we're going today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be reading 1 through 6. And it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of a greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God and in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So he, he's continuing this thought off of chapter 2. And again, last week we talked about uh, Christ's humanity and how in that humanity uh, it's against the spiritual backdrop of the angels, right? That, that how could Christ be better than the angels if the angels were spiritual, but Christ is fleshly and human, right? And, and so Christ comes down uh, and he experiences everything we go through. He experiences the agony and the pain and the hardship of life to the point of death where, again, he's crucified on a cross, and through that type of humanity, Christ is then able to sympathize with us in our own needs, in our own weaknesses. And Dave talked, and I love how Dave did this. He put up that list and he said, not only is Christ able to save us for our sins, but Christ is the salvation for everything. And he went through this long list of how Christ is able to redeem us from all of these different aspects of our lives. And, and again, even though Christ was lower than the angels in terms of, of, of human form in this sense, it didn't negate his divinity. And in the end, again, it doesn't negate the fact that, again, Christ is to be worthy of greater honor than the angels were. So he's continuing this thought, right? And he says, so therefore, so in light of everything that you've just heard, I'm going to continue this conversation of proving Christ is better than anything else. And so he starts here with a call to the audience. And he reminds them, right? He, he, he says here again, he says, holy brothers. And in some passages, it may say brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. So again, he's, he's coming back and he's saying, look, there's a holiness to you guys. Remember that. Remember when you have embraced Christ, his holiness has now become your holiness. 
And then he says, brothers and sisters, he's calling them back to the communal nature of our faith. This, this family aspect of who we are and how we are to live. Because our faith was never meant to be an isolated faith. It was never meant to be lived by just me and God and no one else. It was meant to be lived between us and God. So that way when we face the world, it's not me against the world, it's us as a family going forth into the world. So he's calling them back to that that nature. And then he reminds them of their heavenly calling. He says, guys, I know we get so fixated on the world around us. I know we get so sad on the different problems and issues that we have in this world. There are so many things that we have to do on a day-to-day basis. I get that. But he says, there is something bigger than this world, and I want to remind you of that. And so he's calling us back to that heavenly mindset that there is something greater than the world in which we're at. So what does he tell them to do? He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And some of your, some of your passages may say, fix your eyes on Jesus. And that word fixate means to observe, to gaze, to, to comp- contemplate who Christ is. Right? He says, I want your attention to be here on Christ. And that's the point of this book. He's, he's redirecting everybody back to where they're starting to go astray. And he wants them to consider again who Christ is in their lives. And he doesn't want them to walk away because of the trials and the persecution. He doesn't want them to walk away because the culture is pushing some other narrative on them. He says, no, fixate your eyes, gaze, stay contemplated on who Christ is as we move forward. And so now he's going to again... Give us some more rationale as to why Christ is where we fixate our thoughts and on our minds. So he, he starts with, just really quickly, he calls Christ his, the apostle and high priest. Now these are two prestigious titles of the faith. And so for the apostle, it literally meant sent one, right? We, we talk about the, the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, right? Christ sends them out into the world. And that's what Christ came to do, right? Because the heavenly father there in John 20 says, as the father has sent me, I am sending you, right? That's the job of the apostle to be sent out into the world. And what was the purpose of this, 1 John 4, 14? And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So he wasn't just sent into the world for any, for any little reason. He was sent into the world to redeem the world, to be the Savior of the world, to be the Messiah that they had all been waiting for. Okay? And then the second part is, he also calls him the High Priest. Now, the high priest had a very, very prestigious job, especially the Day of Atonement. So once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, into this sacred area of the temple, and he would be the only one that was allowed to go into it. And he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel as, as a communication to God of their repentance and sorrow. And at the same time, that sacrifice would then pacify God for our sins. And so as a high priest, 
This is what Christ essentially was doing here. So when we think about this term that he is both apostle and high priest, what we have are two mediators that stand in the gap between us and God. And one of them speaks on God's behalf to man, and the other one speaks on man's behalf to God. And so what the author is communicating is this, that Christ is the two-way street of salvation, that he's coming down for us and then coming back to God on our behalf. And we have to understand that if Christ is the two-way street that moves in both directions, we need to realize that Christ is the only way that moves in that way. That's what we see there in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. It is only through Christ that, that we find God and it is only through Christ that God accepts us because of what he did at the cross. And so he lays these two titles out here. And he says, again, if there's any confusion, if there's any position in our faith, Christ holds those two titles. So now he's going to go on to another topic. He's just kind of throwing this in there as a, as a quick note. The big focus of this is the way that he addresses Moses. Now, if you don't know, Moses is considered the pinnacle of greatness in the, in the Jewish faith. He is the hero of all heroes in the Jewish faith. And so this author needs to tread extremely lightly right now because any word or negativity that would put any sort of damper or any sort of, of aspect of, of Moses in a light that's not, not becoming, he's going to face a whole lot of backlash and a whole lot of hostility as a result of this. So he has to be super sensitive in how he addresses Christ and Moses while at the same time communicating to them that, again, Christ is greater than who Moses is. Okay. Now, let me just go through a couple of different things here so we understand why Moses is held in such high regard. So first off, Moses is the author of the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Right? So, so Moses writes that. And, and in those first five books, okay, Moses essentially is the main character in all four of the, those last four books, not including Genesis, but as we move forward from Exodus, Moses is the central character of that story, right, that, that we see God move in, okay? And he's, he was a Hebrew, right? But again, Pharaoh comes and, and wants to kill them as they're enslaved, and, and so he's, he's given over in, into the reeds, and he's taken in by, by Pharaoh's daughter, and he he lives amongst Pharaoh and amongst Egyptian royalty, but yet never forgets who he is. And he forsakes that royalty and he goes off into the wilderness and he's called by God at the burning bush. And he's told to lead his people into the promised land out of slavery. And so Moses comes back and he challenges Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go. And he experiences the plagues and the miracles. And then he takes his people and he crosses them through the Red Sea as God parts that. 
Okay, so so Moses's story is all about this and then this wandering through the desert. And Moses is the leader of, of the Hebrews as they go through seeking the promised land. And in Exodus 18, we're also told that not only is he a leader, but he's also the judge of Israel. It says he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. But the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. You know, so it's almost as if, like, Moses is the supreme court of law. And then in the desert, we also see how Moses becomes the mediator between God and the people. So Moses is called to Mount Sinai. And he says, Moses, you're the only one who can come up here. Quite frankly, Moses, if anybody comes close and if anybody touches this mountain while you and I are in conversation, they're going to die. So that is the holy, sacred nature of where Moses is about to go. And Moses is the only one that has the privilege to go up there. And as he goes up, he's given the law, and the law becomes the basis of their faith, that out of obedience, many of the Jewish faith and understanding believe that they'll be in good and right understanding with God. And so there becomes this this massive adherence to the 613 laws that Moses has given. And so he's, he's given the law, and then he comes down. And when he comes down and descends from the mountain in Exodus 20, it says this, That when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. So they're terrified. Moses, we we don't want to die. You you talk to God on our behalf. You, You stand there and you communicate and you tell us what God says. And then God also tells him to to build the tent of meeting or to build this tabernacle where God would come down and dwell. And there were very few people that were allowed to enter into the tent of the meeting. And Moses was one of them. So he becomes the mediator between his people and between God. And then in Deuteronomy 34, we're told that he's the greatest of the prophets. It says, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like, like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all of these signs and wonders, and the Lord did to him in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all of his officials and to his whole land. And for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Right? So there's no other prophet that speaks on behalf of God than Moses. And then because of all of this, Moses says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face, God. And God says to him, you you don't know what you're asking. No man can see me face to face. No man can see my glory and live. My holiness is too great. But he says, Moses, I'm going to give you a little caveat. I'm going to put you in the cleft, in the rocks. And and I'm going to pass by you and I will allow you a glimpse of the glory of God and you can see the back of me, Moses. 
And so then when, when God passes by and the glory of God passes by and Moses comes back to the people, they're like, because oh. Moses' face is radiating the glory of God. So this is the person that is held in high regard. He's an author. He's the central figure. He's the leader. He's the judge. He's the mediator. He's the lawgiver. He's the prophet. He's, he is the one who got to see the glory of, or a glimpse of the glory of God. And so Moses is put up in here amongst the faith of the Hebrews. And as I said, the author better tread very lightly or there's going to be a lot of unhappy people the way that he speaks about Moses. And so he says, listen, guys, Moses was faithful. Don't get me wrong. Moses was faithful to God, right? So he, he softens what he's about to say here to them. But he says, if Moses was found of such a worthy honor, you've got to understand that, that Christ deserves more than that. And so, he, again, Moses is viewed as the foundational piece. He's given this level of respect and, and honor. But again, he's not to be revered the way that Christ was. And so he has this analogy of a house. And he says, just as, as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. He says, listen, I, I get it. Moses is the foundation of this house. That's the way that we view him. But, but we don't look at the house and give glory to the house. We, we give it to the builder of the house, right? I don't go back to Brian's house and look at his house and I go, man, man, I, I, love, I love what you did there with the structure of it. I, I love how you did all the electrical work. I mean, I, I love the heated floors in the house and, and the vaulted ceiling. I love the, I love the deck that you're putting in the back. I mean, uh, what a house that is, right? I don't look at the house then and go, kudos, house, you did a good job, house. No, I turn to Brian and I go, Brian, I am amazed at what you have done. And that's what he's trying to communicate here. He says, Moses may be the house, but he's not the builder of that house. Christ is the builder of that house. That's where the recognition and the honor has to go. John 1, 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. All things were made through Him. Without Him nothing is made. So again, if we're, if we're going to put... Moses here, we have to understand that Christ is better. And then in Colossians, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things exist. So if you think Moses was special because he built something, we have to remember that Christ built what Moses used to build, right? Christ is the builder of the builder. That's the way that we need to see him. 
Christ not only built this house, but he built the whole universe. And so we need to, he, he then goes on and says, let, let, me, let me give you another angle here with this, this house. Not only is he better as the builder, but look how he, he talks about Moses. He says, Moses was a servant in the house. Moses was a servant in the house, right? What does a servant do? A servant attends to the wants and the needs of the owner of the house. He, he's the one who keeps it in order and, and gets all the stuff. You know, he goes to the store and he buys the stuff and he makes the calls on behalf of the owner. So whenever the owner wants something, he tells the servant and the servant goes and does it. He says, that, that's what Moses is, guys. He's the servant of the house. But what does he say about Christ? He says, Christ is the son of the house. See, there's a big difference between a servant and a son, right? As I said, we just talked about what the servant does. He serves the owner. He serves the master. But what does the son do? The son is the eventual owner of the house. He is the heir of all things. He is entitled to everything in that house. He is the authority in that house. Remember how we started the book of Hebrews? It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time, passed to the fathers by the prophets. And he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Christ is heir to everything. Moses is simply a servant. But he didn't say that Christ is a son in God's house. No, no, no. What did he say? He said, Christ is a son over God's house. Because the house that we're talking about, guys, is not a building, right? The house of God is never four walls. No, the house of God is God's people. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Christ is the head of the church. See, Moses, Moses was a great man. Moses has a life that is worthy to be honored and respected. Moses, Moses had a lot of privilege in his life in being able to lead God's people. But we are remiss if we put Moses above Christ. Because here's the comparison, right? Both Christ and Moses were mediators on behalf of God. Both of them were, were intercessors appointed by God between him and his people. Again, to stand in the gap. And both were faithful to the will of God. Moses did what God asked him to do. And Christ did what God asked him to do. And both of them led God's people out of slavery and into a promised land. But here's, here's the difference between the two. See, Moses brought the law to God's people. He experienced God's glory. But Moses himself never entered the promised land because of an act of disobedience, that Moses would die in that desert. Because Moses could never uphold the law. But what about Christ? 
See, Christ upheld the law. Christ fulfilled the law. Christ was, was sinless and went to the cross and he sat down at the right hand of God and glory was given to him because he was the perfect lamb of God. Christ could do only what Christ could do and Moses could never fulfill that to the furthest extent. And Moses' promised land was a physical soil an earth that would eventually be invaded by the Gentiles and their enemies. But Christ's promised land is not an earthly one, but a spiritual one. And it is a land that will never be invaded. Quite frankly, it is a land where God will dispose of his enemies. And we read that last week in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So he says this, audience, here's the bottom line. Those of you that are wrestling, those of you that are confused, those of you that are unsure of what to do, those of you who may be thinking about turning your back on Christ, don't do it. Because Christ is what you need in your life. And if you are going to put Moses as a pedestal, as, a, as, the, as the element of your faith, if that is what you are going to hold on to, no, Christ is the one where you put your faith, not Moses. So don't give in. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep fighting for this. But he ends this on a really encouraging note, and this is what I love here. Because, again, it could feel so harsh the way the author is, where, again, he's, he's constantly trying to convince them, and he's constantly trying to get them to understand and he says, let me, let me just remind you of something else here. He says, guys, look. He says, we are his house. We are his house. He, again, he just made the comparison between Moses and Christ. And we know Moses is up here. And now he says, guess what, guys? You are part of that house. Me? Yeah, you. I'm part of that house. Yes, you are part of that house. We have the privilege, the joy, to share in the glories of Christ. And we are so undeserving of that. We, in our sin, don't deserve anything. Again, the only thing that we deserve is death. But he looks at us and he looks at Christ and he says, when you are in Christ, you are, you are entitled to my house. You get the privilege of being a part of my house. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
Christ is the cornerstone of the building. He's the cornerstone of the house. And if you don't know, the, the cornerstone is the first stone that you lay when you're building. And every other stone must align itself perfectly when you build the house. And so the apostles and the prophets come and they then lay the foundation off of that stone and they proclaim Christ to the world. And as men hear the words of these apostles and prophets and they hear the message of Christ and they turn their hearts over to him, Christ now takes them and puts them and says, now you are a stone in my house. And so we together are again not just a building, right? We're, we're not four walls and a set of pews and a stage, guys, but we are a family with Christ as our Father, with you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're told in, in John, first John, John um, 1. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Guys, it is a right, it is a privilege, it is a joy to be in the house of God. Again, I've already just said, we, you and I in our sins do not deserve what Christ has offered to us, but he gives it to us. He says, you have a right to be a, my child, but do you see the conditional phrases there? You have a right for those who believed. And it's the same thing he says there in verse 6. He says, we are his house if, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So yet again, it is the author's plea here for us to embrace Christ. Christ is the mansion of all houses. And Christ has told us that I'm going to prepare a room for you. That if you want to live in my mansion, you are welcome to it. And quite frankly, Christ has said, I want you to do this. I want you to have a room in my house. I'm preparing it for you by my death, blood, and resurrection. That's how much I want you to be a part of this. But that only happens when we turn our hearts over to Christ. So, as we continue to go through this, again, if, if you're wrestling with Christ, if you're wrestling with a life of faith, I implore you, give your heart over, because there is nothing better in this world than knowing Jesus Christ. It's not going to be perfect, don't get me wrong. Perfection comes when he returns and we die. But there is no greater life than knowing Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Amen. And if you are wrestling, if you are struggling, by all means, come talk to me. Talk to an elder. Talk to somebody you came with. Grab the person in the pew next to you. But again, do not take another moment and let Christ pass you by and not give him a thought that he is your Savior. Let's pray. God, we are... We live in houses, and we've seen what a mansion looks like. We've seen the, the glories of a, of a multi-room, multi-bathroom. 
a house with a pool, a house with a basketball court, a waterfall cascading over it. Lord, that is the image of what our house is that we get to live in in you. But Father, that is a human image and what you've said is my heavenly kingdom is far, far greater than that. And Lord, we praise you that you are the builder of all builders. God, you laid the foundation. Lord, you gave us the law. And in our inability to uphold the law, you then came and fulfilled the law so that we may be a child of God. Amen.